What's up, peeps? Before you get into the episode, just a quick message. Did you know that Rebranded Safety is brought to you by Risk Fluent? Rebranded Safety is essentially our campaign to achieve our purpose, which is to make the working world better by Rebranded Safety one interaction at a time. We value a people-centered approach that delivers positive impact on the risk. We deliver three types of services, technical, transformational, and fire. It's the last show I wanted to talk to you about. If you value what we value and you want some support driving a culture change or decluttering your safety systems, or you want to improve human performance and it's our transformational support that can help you, or maybe you want a highly experienced registered fire risk assessor to carry out an assessment on your building, design an emergency plan or review the fire safety design for your new building, then it's our fire support service that can help you. But before you get in touch with us, it's important that you want to have impact on the actual risk and you value a people-centered approach. If you don't, that's fine. You'll find someone that can help you. But if you do value those, then get in touch with us at riskfluentltd.com or email me, james, at riskfluentltd.com. But for now, I'll let you get into the episode. This show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, Beeps? Today we're talking all about modern slavery. It's something that safety professionals are getting given, um, whether they like it or not. Some of them are choosing to take it on. Let's jump into the intro and I'll tell you some more about today's guest. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing a stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent. What's up peeps, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast podcast doing exactly what it says on a tin so if you're new here hit that subscribe button and the bell and all those magical algorithm thingamajigs so today we're talking all about the modern slavery modern slavery within normal businesses what that looks like today we're talking to a guy that does some amazing stuff he's a ex-journalist now that focuses on raising awareness for modern slavery and mostly does that on his bike so as you know, I'm a bit of a cyclist myself when I can get time to go out and um, and do it. And I kind of caught this guy sharing loads of cycling posts and I was like, hmm, what's this? And and had his tagline around modern slavery and we had a chat and I was like, oh my God, we need to talk to you. But before we get into that, let's have a little bit of a shout out to our sponsors. So firstly, thank you to the official sponsor of the podcast and YouTube channel, Paradigm Human Performance, and more specifically, the HSE subscription service. Paradigm Human Performance is just an outstanding company. They're human and organizational performance experts. They're all about getting Worker safety is part of the DNA of as many companies as possible. They have a global goal of just teaching and helping people learn. And they do that in so many amazing ways. The HSE subscription service is more focused around those small, medium-sized enterprises, those kind of businesses that are really struggling to kind of juggle all the balls and spin all the plates. And maybe sometimes, sometimes safety becomes something that maybe falls into the back of your consciousness. It's there and you're doing it, but maybe you could do a little bit 
better. And that's what this package is for. It's going to help you put worker safety as part of your DNA. It's going to help you utilize the subject matter expertise of that worker as well. And obviously, because they're human organizational performance specialists, this is going to have HOP, HOP, whatever you want to call it, woven throughout. But this is not the kind of compliance system that you need um, to then kind of declutter um, when, you, when you've read a book about HOP or something like that. This is kind of already done. Um, so if you want to get compliant, whether it's industry compliance, general regulatory compliance, but also you want to have human safety and that kind of human-centered approach woven into what you do, this is the solution for you. Starting from £99 a month, you can contact Paradigm HP. Down below, there's a phone number, email address. There's also their website. So if you're not quite sure about this, go check out their website. You can sign up to the Learning Organization webinar. It's an outstanding webinar. It runs every Thursday at 2 p.m. UK time. But not only that, once you've signed up to it, you can access the whole backlog of all of these webinars. And they've been going for about two years now. And there's just an absolute wealth of information so go check that out out well i'm there pretty much every thursday if i can make it just another shout out to my and colin's company project Meletium. project Meletium is a mastermind community as far as we're aware the only mastermind community for the safety and risk profession so if you're working in health and safety or kind of operational risk or any type of risk management, you're welcome. 100%. Hey, even if you don't work in that space, maybe you're an operational person that manages safety and risk. We've got a director of operations that's one of our members because they manage health and safety and risk within their role. And they're a member and they love it. It's all about the community helping each other develop and solve problems and improve business, improve work, but ultimately improve our profession as well. We do that through weekly community calls and monthly philosophy call, monthly book club and a quarterly wagon wheel, which is like a big mastermind event for a three hours keynote workshop, real in-depth focus sessions like nothing you've seen before. This is way more than a webinar. But these are in-depth, open, honest, emergent conversations. You want to try it out completely free of charge. You can email me or message me or DM me, whatever you want to do. Just contact me all the details below or contact Colin Nottage and we'll get you in one of our community calls completely free of charge. You can try it out before you buy it. Or if you're hooked already, go to www.projectmelithium.com and you can go to the join us page and join us straight away. I look forward to seeing you on one of our calls. Okay, let's get into today's conversation with an amazing gentleman who raises awareness, is a massive advocate for the elimination of modern day slavery. Something that Maybe we think, maybe you like me think, not really a thing in England, the UK, even Europe, maybe. Well, it's interesting conversation and I think it'll open many of your eyes and it will show that we've got a lot more to do. And we also get an insight into what Gordon's doing. So unfortunately, we didn't get this out in time. We had every intention of putting this podcast out before he did what he was doing, which is riding around uh, the premiership clubs on his bike to raise awareness for modern day slavery but our guest today gordon miller is doing some amazing work let's hear from him he can educate us all and if you want to check him out all of his details are in the description as well let's get into the conversation gordon welcome to the podcast mate thank you thanks for having me 
No, that's all right, mate. Looking all daffer. Let's, uh, let's, why don't you give us an introduction to yourself and then we'll, we'll talk into why you look so dapper, uh, yeah. I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, give us a bit of an introduction to yourself and, and who Gordon Miller is and then we'll get into the, the chit chat. Yeah, nice one. So, uh, yeah, Gordon Miller, team leader of Ride for Freedom, as it says on the jersey. Um, so, Ride for Freedom um, is uh, our, our mission is an eight, uh, SDG 8.7 aligned mission is to utilize the universal appeal and power of cycling to deliver positive social impacts um, and to raise specifically to raise awareness, educate and forge partnerships to end modern slavery. So that's essentially who we are and what we do. Uh, my background is as a journalist, uh, form uh, formerly. Um, don't practice so much these days, but I work in communications and I run a communications business, which is um, the sort of the introduction, if you like, to how I came to be working around the whole modern slavery, sustainability, environmental agenda through doing a lot of work with clients around this particular area. So um, that was my sort of introduction back in 2015, 2016 to the whole sort of social agenda around modern day slavery and business and human rights and um, that sort of catalyzed my sort of um, my sort of I guess my, my interest in uh, or my 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 my, li my lifelong sort of interest around justice uh, as a journalist I was writing a lot around issues that affected not not necessarily from a political perspective but I was writing about issues around sustainability um, and how this sort of impacts people and then the environmental aspects of that and, and the social aspects. So it's kind of, you know, bringing together these three things of uh, my communication skill sets, my, uh, my, my, my interest in social justice and sustainability and environmentalism and social justice, and then my passion for cycling, which is not all that, you know, I sort of cycled a lot as a kid. But um, I didn't really cycle a great deal for about 20 years. And I took it up again about 10, 10, 11 years ago now and increasingly got more and more sort of interested and passionate about it. And these kind of challenges that I'm doing now um, are sort of born of um, trying to keep myself motivated, giving myself goals and challenges to, to, keep, uh, to keep, keep, keep getting up and keep getting out and uh, putting the miles in. So that's kind of where all this, the, the genesis of all this came from. I think it's such a common thing that cyclists either there's like two types of well there's like three types of cyclists there's the people that have just got on a bike and never got off and it's like pretty much their job now or or their entire life or there's like the majority of people split into I find two groups people like you and I that as a kid rode bike probably loved it and then just kind of really just maybe took it for granted or or like i've always loved bikes like always loved push bikes but like yeah. it was just a means to i mean i didn't drive until i was like 20 2021 20, and i just got yeah. around everywhere on a bus and a bike everywhere it was just like i just bike everywhere and i addicted and still am addicted to like the um the bike messenger community like, yeah, yeah. you've watched a film with Queen Latifah years and years and years ago called Taxi, and there's like a scene in it of a bike messenger, and I was just like, that is the coolest thing I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. And it's so like, I, I actually worked as a courier back uh, when I was at uni, um, came, came down to, and um, yeah, I worked as a courier in, in, on, a, on a bike for a while. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a very cool job. Um, quite dangerous as well back in the day. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, which I did it in central London. So um, okay. yeah, it was 
yeah, it was uh, it was pretty. I'm not on the best bikes, you know. Uh, I remember one time getting a getting my my chain fell off and locked, and I went um, went skidding off down the road. Um, wasn't pretty, wasn't pretty, and it hurt a bit as well. But yeah, but yeah, I, you know, I'm with you. It's kind of that. Um, yeah, I've always always messed around on bikes, particularly as a kid, and then sort of you know had when I first moved to central London, yeah, you know, getting tube and and all that sort of stuff. Didn't really bother with the bike that much after mm. I finished um you know once i started work it was there were no showers back in the day you know no no workplace yeah, to shower yeah. you know, it, it's not like not these days uh where a lot of offices have them so it wasn't that convenient to cycle a lot and, and, and so on so I, I kind of you know had a 10 15 even 20 year period where I, I didn't well not 20 probably 15 years where i didn't cycle that much and then um yeah just got back into it but yeah love it now love it mm. couldn't imagine not doing it I've got yeah. a bit of a personal war on at the moment with East Midlands Rail because yeah. I, 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 I love I love riding my bike in London. I don't go there that much, but I go. we've got an office in London in my day job. Um, so I'll literally just jump on the train, book a slot for the bike, get off at St Pancras and then just bike to, to the office. And I love it. Like, it's one of my favourite things to do. I'm just yeah. like, like you say, it's pretty, it's pretty risque. Like, it's a bit... Hair, like it's a bit precarious at certain points and i i just love it and um, yeah. they've recently changed all of the trains before 10 a.m to these electric connect trains but they've got no bike slots on and they're not allowed you're not allowed full-size bikes on and i was just like so you've just made that decision and completely stopped my way of going to work now and uh, based on what like i've now got to either buy a tube ticket or, or or pay for the tube using my my um what's it called card and that or yeah, yeah. hire a boris bike which i just can't bring myself to do but but still pay money uh or walk which would like double if not triple the length of my the the, the time of my commute i'm just yeah. like what what idiot said yeah yeah let's do this and just not have any bikes options like or buy a folding bike they said oh why don't you buy a folding bike and i was like because i don't want a folding bike like yeah. i love my commuter bike like i love it Mm. I, i'm just i'm just so pissed off with them I, like, yeah. I, I never complained about anything but it's it's proper peed me off um yeah, I'm, I'm in london twice this week and i would have really loved to get out on the bike yeah it's, it's the it's the um it's just so disjointed as well isn't it you know the, the whole infrastructure is supposed to be gearing up more for cycling and yet there, there you go there's there's an example of a of a, a rail provider um, who just unilaterally makes this decision to sort of not allow bikes any longer. So that connectivity is then gone and it's, uh, it forces people back onto you know, public transport or it forces them into public, into their own cars again and all mm. that sort of nonsense. So it's just, yeah. it's, well, you know, it, should, it shouldn't be done without consultation first and foremost, and it frankly shouldn't be done at all. But uh, imagine so. Anyway. No yeah anyway let's let's get on to the subject so you're obviously kind of your the biggest thing that we're going to talk about today is you mentioned sustainability as well but today we're kind of focus on the the, the kind of ride for slavery and, and freedom so you're talking primarily about modern slavery yeah. do me do me a favor and just kind of explain what that is um and then and then from there i think we'll get into it because when we had our initial chat just over the phone there was, whilst I was aware of it and knew of it, and there was a lot of people in the safety profession that end up taking this stuff on. I don't yeah. think actually 
we realize, especially in the UK, actually how big of an issue this is. So yeah, just yeah. start off, if you could, with like an explanation of what modern slavery is, and then we'll go from there. Cool. Yeah. So let me give you a definition, if I may. Um, this is one not written myself, but written by Professor Kevin Bales, who's a um, professor of contemporary slavery at the Wright's Lab at Nottingham University, which is one of the uh, one, one of the sort of most elite uh, and um, esteemed um, educational facilities in, in the UK, uh, working on this issues around modern day slavery. Um, and, and Kevin just defines it as when a person is under the control of another person who applies violence and force to maintain that control. And the goal of that control is exploitation. So I think for me, the real key word in there is, is around exploitation, control and exploitation. Um, and I think, you know, as you said, when we originally spoke, it was, there's often a perception that, that this is about people being literally chained, um, you know, and it's a, it's a really, it's an unhelpful uh, imagery that's presented uh, and, and largely, you know, inaccurate. I mean, very, very few people are literally um, chained, although, you know, it, it, I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen. Um, they may be maybe chained at night, for example, or they may be, you know, restrained at night um, so that they can't escape. That may happen. Um, but I'm saying the majority of this, these, these issues is around um, psychological control and coercion. Um, so people are sort of intimidated into situations where they're exploited for their labor. So to give you an example, um, quite, a, quite a prevalent um, situation is where you get workers for example, in Romania and Bulgaria, and these aren't just these aren't just countries are picked at random. These are the national referral mechanism. Most uh, countries where most of the victims are, who are in the UK are actually uh, documented as coming from. So it's not it's not not stigmatizing certain countries. It's based on on historical fact. Um, but for for instance, those people are uh, recruited by and invariably by criminal gangs in 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 these countries, and they are offered jobs effectively um, they're promised jobs well-paid jobs there isn't for example there may not be much work in their own countries they're offered better paid jobs housing etc etc and invited to come over to the UK and often you know because remain the likes of Romania when we were in the EU they had freedom of movement so they could come here so they weren't it wasn't illegal um, although some people it, it is you know it is it is um, it, it isn't so they're not within the EU um, so that's those people are then um, trafficked into the country. Um, but in this case, let's take give a continue the example of, of Romanian uh, workers. So, so they're, they're, they're enticed over here. And when they get here, they have a passport. When they get here, the passport's taken off them. Um, so immediately when they have your passport taken off you, then you then lose your freedom of movement because you can't get out of the country without a passport. So you're then um, you know, enthralled to that particular gang that's holding you, um, holding you at their will. Um, they will then, for example, say to you, well, of course, you know, that individual could go to the police, but often that the, the person will be intimidated by the gang into saying, well, if you go and report this, you, if you want to take it to the authorities, then we know where your family lives in Romania, for example. We know where your family lives in, you know, wherever your home country is. We, we will, we will, you know, we will do them in, you know, we will, we, we have that control over you. So immediately you've got that, 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 that emotional control over somebody. Well, what, what, what are they going to do? You know, if, if they don't comply, they, they run the risk of, uh, of their family being, um, being, being threatened, being assaulted, whatever. So that's a huge immediate emotional um, control that people have over them. They then start to, you know, these things incrementally, this, this sort of oppression gets ratcheted up where it's like, 
okay, you know, you come home, I want some of your, I want some of your wages. You earn 20, you earn hundred pounds a day. I'm taking 80 quid of that. I'm going to give you 20 quid back because I put you up in the housing because you had nowhere to live. So I've given you the housing. I'm taking 80 quid of that back. I'm justifying it by taking 80 quid back for your rent and I'll give you 20 quid back to, to live off, et cetera, et cetera. And you can see how this pattern builds up. And before you, before very long, they're, you know, they no longer have any autonomy. They can't report it to the authorities. They have no passport to leave. They are completely and utterly controlled by this criminal gang, which is seeing this individual as a commodity, um, you know, to make them money. And it's a very, very lucrative, um, lucrative way of making, you know, making money for criminal gangs. The, um, there was some study done a couple of years ago that estimated it's something like 150 billion pound a year trade, um, you know, in people. In, in, in people exploitation so it's a massive yeah isn't that frightening that's absolutely staggering 150 billion it's um it's, it's, it's astonishing really but that's that's you know and that's essentially how it comes about you know it's through coercion um in in, in many many cases and it's a controlled situation um and that's that is just you know that's that, that's that's kind of the definition and that's how it comes about but there are there are lots of different sort of forms of modern day slavery, which, you know, um, I, I could go into because modern day slavery is, is an umbrella term. Um, it, as I say, you know, human trafficking, for example, sits under the, the modern slavery umbrella. So does forced labor, which is kind of one of the issues I'm talking about here is around forced labor, people being forced to work against their will through threat of punishment. Um, debt bondage. We don't tend to see that so much in the UK, but it's, it's, um, it's often things that uh, it, it's, uh, it happens in um, countries like India and um, subcontinent places like that, where people are um, trapped in poverty and they're forced to borrow money and then they have to work off that debt, if you like. So that's where mm. this term debt bondage comes from. And they can never get out of debt bondage because, you know, they may pay back a quid but then the the um, you know the, the person who's oppressing them says, well, actually, you rent this. Month, I'm putting your rent up to one pound fifty this month, or this week, or this day, or whatever, and I'm only paying you a pound. So the the debt continually grows, and it can even be passed on generationally. Jesus how, Christ! How is that? Do you know what I mean? So you have literally you know debts passed on down from you know grandchildren from from um, grandparents to parents to grandchildren. So you you know it's just this heinous situation where it's just ratcheted on and on and on um obviously slavery of children um this year is the united nations year for the elimination of child slavery 2021 it was literally um anti-child slavery day was uh, on the 10th of june was it the 12th of june 12th of june um but this year is really focusing on that and um there are something let me just give you this figure it's an absolutely shockingly large figure it's something like um, there was a report on only very recently by UNICEF, which revealed that there's actually been an increase in the amount of child, uh, children in, in slavery um, for the first time in about 20 years, where there's been an increase, um, which is an absolute shocking um, state of affairs. Um, there are something like, let me just give you this figure. Um, to, 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 where is it? Um, I'll have to dig it out, um, but they estimate something like one in, one in four victims of modern-day slavery are children. So if there are 40.3 million people worldwide, then you can do the maths with that. You know, there are 
some 10 million or more children who are um, who are victims of modern day slavery. So that's again, as I say, that's another form of, of modern day slavery. Then you've got things like domestic servitude, which we do see in the UK where people are, um, you know, they, they come over um, to do jobs for uh, rich families, um, nannies and things like that. And before long, they can be trapped in this situation where they're forced to work longer hours than they're contracted to. They aren't, um, they're stopped from leaving the house on the days off and things like this. And this is, this becomes, um, you know, becomes a form of modern day slavery. And of course, the, 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 the probably the worst single uh, or the biggest uh, numerically that, um, modern, of a form of modern day slavery is sexual exploitation. So um, women and girls account for 99% of, of, um, of these people who are, of, People who are victims of um, commercial commercial sex industry, um, and that accounts for something like fifty eight percent. There, they maintain of of all the people who are in modern day slavery are forced into sexual sexual exploitation work. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's um, you know, and you know, you go back to this analogy of the criminal gangs and how lucrative it is. Well, if you can earn hundred pounds a day by putting somebody to work on a building site, for example, but you can earn 500 pounds a day by forcing a woman into prostitution and they see a person as a commodity what are they going to do they're going to force women into in into into sex work because that's that's where they'll make most of their money so um all in all it's um it's uh, to use to use a, a you know terrible word it's, it's, it's horrible it's a horrible situation isn't it it's, it's um 40 million people globally children men women um you know, it's it's right across the board. There is no sort of discrimination. Um, just just absolutely appalling, and that's kind of moral outrage is kind of one of the things that really sort of fired me up initially when I started engaging on this subject. It was like, how can we? How can this? How can this be in the twenty first century? You know that we can have this this um, this situation, um, and it's getting worse. You know, in the forms of child labour. Um, that, that 40.3 million people global enslaved globally at any given time that is there's no fixed time you know that is like today tomorrow that's an estimated figure done by the global slavery index and again it's about two or three years old I think it was 2018 2017 2018 when that figure was um, was last uh, calculated so hopefully there'll be another study soon which will at least give us an up-to-date figure and um, god forbid if it's gone up but it you know it may well have done because the social conditions that we're seeing at the moment um, through the COVID, COVID has created, COVID has been directly attributed to the growth in the number of child slaves um, by, this, by this report that was done by UNICEF and um, some name escapes me who the, who the other partner was, but UNICEF were involved in it. Um, so it's, it's gone up as a result of this because there is great, there is less protection for workers there is greater, and therefore there is greater exploitation, uh, potential for greater exploitation, there's less protection. Um, so it's, 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 it's a horrible, you know, terrible situation and getting worse in, in, in many respects. Um, and, and sort of, sorry, I've just dropped something. The, um, the situation um, when it comes to, well, you know, what can we all do about it? Well, you know, obviously from, from my perspective, I'm, I'm raising awareness, trying to educate um, people um, and obviously forge partnerships to, to, to um, just to help the, you know, support the eradication of this. But I think the really fundamental to all this is, is how businesses um, start to address the issue because all businesses, um, 
they have a compliance perspective. You know, the the law, the Modern Slavery Act, for example, in the UK, um, requires all businesses with a turnover of over thirty six million pounds a year to uh, formally um, submit a, an annual statement, modern slavery statement, on which they have to report in six key areas around what they're doing to try and um, understand, manage, and, and mitigate their um, the, the risk in their supply chain, not only in their direct operations, but really, really critically in their supply chain, which is called Section 54 and um, of the Modern Slavery Act. And it's, it, it's actually fundamental in trying to eradicate um, modern slavery that businesses start to sort of, as I say, map um, uh, and do their due diligence into their own supply chains so they understand where the risks are. And where they find it, they do something about it, um, which is really, really critical. And um, all, all the sort of the businesses that are really engaging around this, um, on, on this, um, for example, the likes of Marshalls, um, PLC, which, um, there are businesses in landscaping and um, and uh, landscaping materials and, and you know, all that sort of con uh, flags and slabs and concrete and all that sort of stuff. Um, they've done a lot of exhaustive work around this for about a decade now. And, you know, they, they are the first ones to admit that, you know, if you look hard enough, you will find modern slavery in your supply chain. So those businesses that sort of turn around and say, hey, we don't have it, we're not, you know, we're not included in this is, is an absolute fallacy because they're not looking hard enough because if you they may not have it enough in, in they may not have it in their tier one uh, but they'll certainly find it if they go into their tier two their tier three suppliers etc etc and it's that's that's where it's fundamental that we start that that companies do do this due diligence into into digging down into their supply chains so that they can actually start to identify where it exists and then as i say try and do something about it by putting processes in in place um supporting the communities where they find that there is um in, in transactions going on which which are to do with modern day slavery um and, and start it's called you know remediation process they actually start to support them to um to 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 improve the lot of the of the workers you know why are they exploiting them it can be you know, for example, in, in, in India and places like that, it's it's not seen as modern day slavery. It's just a cultural situation, you know, where kids are put to work, you know, and it's you have to be sensitive to that because you can't walk in here and say, well, in the UK, you know, we have the law that says nobody can work from under yeah. the age of 16. <clears throat> you know, have to be sensitive. This, and you'll, you'll know about this uh, working in, in the um, in, in the the OSH industry. You know, you have to be sensitive to the uh, to the local areas as well, and, and the local cultures and regulations too. But it has to start somewhere, and that's where I think you know businesses really have a good, you know, where this this modern slavery act, which we have one in Australia, there's one in um, this California Transparency Act in in, uh, in California. Obviously, Germany's just instituted a, um, a supply chain act as well. Um, so gradually, there's sort of more and more legislation evolving around the world which will start to which is starting to address all these things um and there are several voluntary mechanisms as well like the united nations guiding principles which um requires all companies to um to respect human rights and to understand again what you, you know what modern slavery being obviously one of the human rights um addressing that how um Again, how companies um, and, and businesses can go about um, trying to understand their human rights impacts, um, and that again, all is all so it's a voluntary mechanism rather than the compliance issue. But um, the forward-thinking businesses understand that this is this is a necessary and a, an advantageous um, 
thing to address not only for them not only for the wider society but also for themselves as a business um and i think that's that's really where this gets very critical me. there's a lot there there's a lot to break down there i, I want to kind of break a few bits that, that you've kind of touched on there like this mm. is obviously a massive issue issue globally but I think a lot of us in the UK would probably think to one of your earlier points, like, it's not us. But yeah. So, like, and, and I think we, we naively would just, and I would have been, you know, I'm not judging anyone. Like, no. until I spoke to you the first time around, I was like, yeah, but this is just an issue for, like, third world countries, surely. It's not an issue for us over here. Um, but then you've got companies like Marshalls that are saying, if you look hard enough, it, you, you will find it. Like, that's a massive statement to make. Like, you yeah. will find it in your supply chain. Like, yeah. really? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a, in, you know, in their opinion and other people's opinion, it's unquestionable that you will find it if you look hard enough because, you know, it, it, is, it is so endemic. You know, 40 million people are that last reckoning globally. Um, you know, if you, you know, let, 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 let me just put a bit of context around that. Obviously, if you're, uh, you know, not all businesses are importing stuff, not all, not all businesses have long supply chains, you know, into the, into um, the developing world and places like that. But, yeah. but, you know, if you sort of break it down into, you know, just look at your, you know, the laptop, you look at all the equipment that we're using around us, it all has microchips in it, it all has bits of, you know, I don't know, components in them, which are basically mind in places like Africa and South America and places like that, which end up getting put into all our, onto all our products. Invariably, you will find that those products, um, you know, if, if you, if you actually start to look deeper into them, they're, um, you know, there, there's exploitation that goes on in the mining communities. Um, you know, so it touches every one of our, every, every one of our lives in, in every day, you know, so this is just as individuals. I think Unseen, um, the national charity which runs the Modern Slavery Helpline, which Ride for Freedom is is working on the Free Will um, program. Just just briefly, the Free Will, uh, we've in, instituted a program called Free Will, which is um, a program to support victims of modern day slavery in the UK to cycle. So we're giving them a bike, we're giving them a helmet, a locks, light, giving them some basic training and um, and some road awareness skills. Um, and then, you know, the intention is that, that once we've proven this project works, we're going to roll it out around the country. So we're, we're starting mm -hmm. off a pilot program with Unseen. Um, but Unseen, the, to the point that I'm making here around Unseen, is that they've, um, they, they, they estimate, you know, that, that at any one time, you know, we, we, we each have, if you like, if, if we were to break this down, six slaves working for us. You know, if we, take, if we look at our lifestyle, you look at our lifestyle, the computers that we have, the, the 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 products that we buy you know the clothes that we buy if we don't buy ethically you know we don't look into the supply chain it is tainted with modern day slavery so you know your cars you know everything you know everything around us because of the way that our the way that the western world has outsourced its um it, it's everything it's, <laughs> yeah everything yeah we don't manufacture anything here we're just a service industry a service, uh, a service sector, a service UK PLC is, is a service-based economy. Um, so you know we've just pushed this problem away. You know, and you could argue, you know, we get very, very cheap prices. You know, our, our standard of living is basically um, built on other people's slavery. 
And, you know, I'm not being political here, and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not an overtly political person. But you could argue, you know, that that is, that is a reality that, you know, if you if you wanted to look at it in that way, that our whole economy is built on other people's slavery. Um, well, I think you have so to have quite, that. Quite sober. <laughs> yeah, you have to have that. That, like, for me, it's not, it's not political. I think it, it's just sensible to see how big of an issue this is. Like, and and having that in your head that. Whilst you can contribute actually to you know with what you're doing and raising awareness and then what a listener of this podcast could do could have a actionable impact on this by doing something within their company 100 but it, i think it is good to just have that system thinking kind of uh, thought process to see okay what else am i doing to contribute to this stuff that's unknown and unknown to me that so, for example, I don't know if you've watched it, but there's an amazing series on Netflix called Rotten about basically yeah. the corruption of the food industry. And there's avocados, um, there's, there's drug cartels in Mexico that no longer deal in drugs. They deal in avocados because it's, there's more money in it. Wow. And, that... and I'm just like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Like, so, you know, depending on where you buy your avocados for, but even if I wanted, I remember watching it and being like, well, I'll just get my avocados from, from Tesco or Sainsbury's, like, are are they doing something to make sure it's not coming from the the cartel? And I just assume they are, but like, and that's the same with, with modern slavery. I suspect it's just like, I I assume those big brands are doing it. And if they're not doing it, then I kind of assume this is more of a black market issue and it's just those dodgy brands that are dealing, those dodgy companies that we don't really know much about, but yeah, actually to your point, this is probably there more than what we think it is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, some of the supermarkets are doing a lot of work around, you know, their responsible sourcing practices as, as, as the terminology has it, you know, so, you know, they do look into their supply chains, but as you say, I mean, it is, there are often layers upon layers of black market economy you know you know it, it's not going to be easily um you know found that it, you know unless you're an investigative journalist or something like that you know who's actually behind some of these farms you know there'll be a paper trail that's very very opaque that you'll never actually find out who the, who the owner is so I'm, I'm not you know i'm not i'm not accusing again accusing anybody of of being um remiss in doing this but i do think you know if as consumers we hold our supermarkets accountable then the supermarkets will go the extra mile to try and uncover or to try and ensure that, that, that they do um do their due diligence again this this key word around understanding um their supply chain and if and if they have any doubts where their avocados in this illustration come from and the provenance of them and, and you know the, the governance structures behind them and all this sort of stuff then pull back you know, there's lots of other people who are money, who are growing avocados who you can buy from or encourage avocado growth and farming in the UK if it's even possible. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not an agriculturist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we can grow them. But, you know, you can stimulate local economies by doing that. You know, you can give, um, you can pay, um, you know, um, living wage to people over here, um, you know, encourage market growers and all that sort of stuff. So you can have a really direct impact on your community simply by not, buying overseas or wherever these avocados are shipped in from Mexico in, in the case that you're giving. And it's, so it's part of this whole bigger systemic problem, isn't it? In, in that sense of systemic shift, you know, where again, you know, we, because 
somehow consumers demand that we have avocados all year round. Well, do we really demand that? Or do we, we now want it because we've been told we can have it because the supermarket shipped them in here back in the 1950s or 60s. So therefore we kind of grew up with them. And, but it's always thrown back at the consumer or the consumer demands it. Well, you know, I don't demand it. I mean, I like them, but you know, if they weren't there and we ate more seasonally, and I knew that that wasn't tainted by the prospect of, of crimin criminality or modern slavery or things like that. I would, you know, you, you've got to live by your values, haven't you? You know, or, or you choose to live by, by your, your values or you don't, you know. Um, again, that's a more ethical decision that you make as individuals. But I, I think, think there's... you can Go on, go on, carry on. Go on. No, it's just about the accountability. And that, that's kind of, you know, holding people to account, holding those who are, who are in positions of, um, of power and purchasing power hold them accountable for, for what they're doing and that'll help to make things better. Same with fashion, fashion brands and stuff like that. You know, um, a lot of them are doing a lot of good, better and better work now and trying to understand their supply chains, but could they do more? Yeah, I'm sure they could do a lot more, you know, how come we're still getting, um, the, uh, the, the Uyghur people in, in China, you know, and the cotton, um, that's being imported from China and stuff like that, you know, which is tainted by a modern slavery. How come that's still happening? You know, we all know about it. So somebody must be turning a blind eye somewhere. Um, so again, that's that's part of this this bigger challenge about how what are we in some respects, what are we prepared to give up a little bit to um, you know, to, to live our values, you know. That's ultimately uh, the issue, isn't it? Is that we are yeah. we are accustomed to a certain standard of living and we are very much accustomed to fruit 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 all year round and veg all year round and we don't do seasonal seasonal like you go to a restaurant and it says seasonal veg it's just the same veg all year round it's not seasonal at all but that's just what we used to call it um yeah and, and we, we are we are accustomed to being able to you know and, and i wonder you know i question myself sometimes around kind of amazon next day delivery like mm. it is amazing how they do it but it also makes me question how do they do it like yeah. really and if i put my safety hat on and my kind of operational kind of way of looking at it and think that is some unbelievable pressure to get me every not just me everyone like everyone's on amazon a product within 24 hours and i just think there has got to be something there like, if, and even if they're not, they're not, I'm not saying that Amazon are an unethical company, but what mm -hmm. I'm saying is, is it creates behaviors, it creates pressure and it cre therefore creates behaviors that potentially make it very easy for exploitation of these more unethical practices, I think. So I, I, I think it's like, yes, we do need to know our values a little bit more. I do think, feel like society, the younger generations are a lot more ethical and moral than maybe I was when I was a kid, 100 years. My, I look at my 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 kind of sister-in-law, like the stuff she's talking about, like I did not know at her age. And I'm just mm. like, yeah, there's so much more switched on. There's so much more ethical yeah. and, and moral. So that will help. But at the same time, like, I just think that I come back to the thing, like in my head, I struggle so much with the concept of there is slavery in mm. in the UK um yeah and, and what i what i engage with well let's break that down a little bit maybe shall we um and just to sort of give it a bit of context because 
you know, the, the way that we were defining slavery before, you know, um, as I say, debt bondage, um, sexual exploitation, human trafficking, um, these things exist in the UK, but far, far over and above the, um, the biggest single um, form of modern day slavery, which we encounter in the UK is around labor exploitation. Um, and I think it's really important to make that because um, officially, um, this, and this is a really, really old figure now, it's something almost like a decade old. They reckon there was something like 13,000 slaves and modern day slaves at any one time in the UK. Now, a subsequent piece of work, and, the, the, and these figures aren't, aren't considered very credible, not by me, but by the wider sort of uh, modern slavery cohort. Mm. Um, but that, that there was a, a later study done about three or four years ago, which estimates there's, uh, that there's probably tenfold that figure. So the, the, the figure that most people bandy around, how many modern day slaves are there in the UK? It's 136,000 is the figure that people use. What? Yeah, 136,000 at any given time, oh which seems God. like a lot but let's break it down. If you break it down into this labor exploitation, now it's what can be defined as, as uh, labor exploitation. Now, labor exploitation on one hand can be the coercion piece I was talking about earlier, but it can also be if you're not paying someone the minimum wage, okay? They could be, they could be prosecuted uh, under the Modern Slavery Act for that. So that is when this, this, this figure you know, and again, it's what lens are you looking at this measure of modern day slavery and how do you want to interpret it? But somebody could be considered um, part of the, you know, enveloped in the modern day slavery statistics for labor exploitation if they are not paid the minimum wage on, on a certain situation, you know, certain situations, given situations. Um, so, so that's where this slightly might seem like a slightly inflated figure of 136,000 people comes from because it includes that. But, but at the still, other end, that is unbelievably unethical to pay, to pay somebody un, under that minimum wage. I think because frankly, yeah. I think operate some of the like some of the jobs out there that are minimum wage just blow my mind, and and mm. I'm just like, how is that? How can you do that job and be paid that and barely yeah. survive through life? Like I'm so lucky with what I've got and 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 what I'm enabled to do, and I appreciate all that, all of the stuff that I have, but. You know, I come from minimum wage background, working full on working class, like two up, two down council house, like mum worked like seven jobs. And it was like, you know, I, I, I just think even then, I think the minimum wage is not, it's just not enough to sustain a, not even a, a nice way of life. So then to pay somebody underneath that for me yeah. is, is a form of slavery, I think. I mean, how can your mum have to work seven jobs? You know, let, let's, you know, if it was literally not seven all the time, but, you know, it sounds like she was doing at least two or three, if not four jobs at any given time. Definitely. You know, if people are being paid, you know, a, a proper wage, you know, a respectable wage for the work that they're doing, um, you know, based on, on um, you know, on their outgoings, on the minimum requirements, then, you know, how, how can that exist? How can, you know, that, that's just atrocious, isn't it? But, yeah, I feel so, like um, some of it, Gordon, I feel like some of it as well is like maybe the decisions we make at, say, like a corporate level, we don't realise the the potential gaps in that. So I'm, I'm thinking out loud, but the construction, uh -uh. the construction industry screams out to me here, like as a potential industry that could be quite easily exploited with the way that it's set up with subcontractors, everyone's self-employed you know it's a lot of you know it, i don't I, it's not dodgy but it, it's it definitely 
it's definitely grey. I'd, I'd say, yeah. and I, and I think like my a lot of my friends work in the construction industry, and you know, there's a lot of conversations at the moment about trying to get rid of this this like self-employed um, culture that we have, and and put a lot more onus back onto the big the big companies. But at the same time, I talked to my mate, and I said like, you know, what would your appetite for that be? And he'd be like, no, because yeah. he he just there's, he gets a lot of benefits from being self-employed. Yeah. But then I see yeah. it from listening to you. I'm like, God, there's there's a lot of room for maybe not ex- well yes ex- exploitation but through maybe a bit of innocent naivety in a way um from from i think case but you know it's um that that naivety or um uh, ignorance uh, on the part of employers but in the in the law in, in the eyes of the law that does not excuse you um, of course, yeah, yeah. It's your responsibility as an employer to know uh, what the minimum wage is at the very least and to make sure that people have their human rights and their you know their and, and their, their their employment rights as well as their human rights um, taken care of in, in in that situation but it is complex um I, I you know i run my own business you know so i'm self-employed in that respect and i choose to work that way and i and i make that work for myself and i'm not don't want to be patronizing here and say well but some people need more support but some people do need more support you know um you know not everybody has the same um abilities or has the same um, education has the same opportunities etc cetera, etc cetera. so those who are vulnerable and let's face it you know it's the vulnerable that we're protecting here you know what's the saying um something like society is only as good as its most vulnerable people and people yeah. in its so you have to you know have to take that as your baseline and and protect those people at all times you know we're not unfortunately I, you know i feel and this is political that you know we're 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 we're, we're, we're looking after the you know the elite too much in our society or those you know who are, who are in power and not looking after those who are the most vulnerable and um the most exploited so i think there's that's- also there's a lot of like and maybe it's slightly just just kind of tying off the back of that that vulnerable the vulnerable in society like i've worked in housing for a very short stint and and if i'm honest i I'm a, I'm a flight guy. Like if I can't make a difference, I just move on and, and I get, and I'll get so frustrated and bang my head against all. And you know what? Fair to say that that's not good enough, but like I worked in housing, social housing with some of the vulnerable, the most vulnerable people and just the way that we treated them, in my opinion, was shocking. And, um, the, and also not so much the people on the shop floor, like the people on the shop floor that are really trying to help say like a homeless people or they're running like a homeless um, kind of accommodation overnight kind of thing. You know, they love what they do. They love helping people and they just do it for the love of it, you know, and they're they're the heroes of society that just kind of do this stuff and and really do help people and do stuff like what you're doing. Um, But then I think there's this disconnect because we don't really see it. I think there's a lot of work done to keep it out of sight. And maybe, I don't know, again, whether that's conscious work or unconscious work, but it's kind of like, again, it, it forces the general populace into this ignorance or this naivety that, that this is not a problem for us to solve, whether it's homelessness or, or slavery or or ex- exploitation or all of the above. Do you know, like, we, we, we then make an assumption that these people that are vulnerable, we go... Oh, they're brought in themselves. They're probably just druggies or mm. something like that. Whereas actually, yeah. they're probably forced into that situation. To your point, they put, they might have even inherited this slavery, which just blows my mind. Like, I know. And, and that is, you know, that's often, isn't it? That you know, that 
the, the, the thing that's charged and leveled against um, people, you know, they bring it upon themselves. The homeless, you know, why is anyone homeless? It's, it's their own fault, you know. Why, you know, why, why are they in modern day slavery? You know, you've got any gumption, if you've got any nous, if you've got anything about you, you wouldn't, it wouldn't happen to you, you know. Mm. But it, it does, you know, it, it, and it truly does happen to people who, you know, who it's not just the, yes, it is the more vulnerable generally, and the, yes, it is the, the lesser educated because they're generally in lower, um, the, the, the sectors that are most vulnerable, to your point earlier, construction sector, agriculture, nail bars are quite prevalent in oh, the really? UK. Oh. Bit of a bit of a hobby horse, but you know, nail bars do seem to be an area where there seems to be um, a lot of um, traffic workers from Southeast Asia and places like that, and um, Vietnam and, and places like that. There seems to be quite a lot of instances of that. Car washes, um, a lot of Eastern European gangs, people getting, you know, you walk, you get your car washed. Um, yeah. Often you get, your, you know, but we all get our I don't cars even washed. Think about it. Yeah. And it, I bet you nine times out of ten, they're East European lads who are cleaning your car. Now that doesn't mean just because they're East European lads they're getting exploited. But if I walk in somewhere and somebody's paying and somebody's, you know, offering to clean my car for nine quid, you know, how much is the guy getting paid? <laughs> do you know what? Like, ah, oh, this just it's, it opens your eyes when you really all you have to do is just, just start to ask those questions, like how is it it comes back to the old saying doesn't it like if it's too good to be true it probably is too good to be true and it's like actually that's we we perceive that saying it to be like it will be us it's us that's being exploited but actually from this point of view it's not somebody else and and we used to go to a car wash and i used to be with my mates oh yeah go to the car wash and find it it's great mate six quid you get your car all done and it's like and and now i'm like jesus christ yeah and i and Am I part of the problem? <laughs> yeah, well, we are, aren't we? We're we're, yeah, we're funding it. We are, we are funding it, and you know, and you know, it's it's easy, you know. And I'm really not sitting in judgment because you know I try to live my values, but I don't always live them. You know, I have had my car cleaned at, at these places. Um, you know, and you know, I do do that. You know, I do use Amazon. You know, should I use Amazon? You know, well, no, probably not. If you actually look at the business model and you look at the, you know the the way that it it impacts upon you know the local community and the high streets are getting closed down not just because of amazon but because of everyone shopping online etc etc mm. it ain't good for our society i know that but i still do it because i'm a bit lazy you want it tomorrow like <laughs> want it tomorrow. a bit lazy i don't want to go down the high street and i you know occasionally when i do go on the high street i can't find what i bloody want and i get even more annoyed because i knew i could have ordered it yesterday on, on amazon and i would have had it today yeah, yeah. um so, you know we're, we're you know it, it is part of a bigger model but i think you know it all begins with awareness doesn't it you know going back to this you know educating ourselves um being open to um to, to the ideas around this and, and how you know can we can we system can can we actually do something about it ultimately ourselves well you know we can only do something if we actually understand the issue to begin with and um you know, what, what, stop. what do you think about like because you know this where we're going with this now gordon with this kind of path we've gone down it, it reminds me a little bit of, so I'm, I'm a vegetarian um mm. and and more for more for kind of environmental reasons i don't really want to get into that because it's a very sensitive issue uh, or conversation and I, and I can't be asked with it um but but i've had it thrown at me I, i'm i'm not a very preachy kind of of vegetarian either like i'm just like you want to eat meat cool that's your, that's your choice and it's my choice not to i don't want to go anywhere else with this so i don't preach about i get preachy about some stuff uh but i but i stick in my lane it's safety health like that's my place yeah. um yeah and um if it's outside of that 
I don't yeah, tried tried not to get preachy, but anyway, our point here is that sometimes when I watch some of these like vegan people and and they're like a bit more preachy about it, a bit more activism and, and vegetarian activism, any of that stuff, you, you commonly get that argument, and I could probably in part agree with, not wholly, but in part that these are kind of uh, like being vegan is kind of a middle to upper class thing because it's more expensive. So like being ethical is more expensive, which would make sense. Amazon is cheaper, the car wash is cheaper, and you know it, 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 the Primark is cheaper, and you know all of these things where, and granted, some of the big brands have been caught out in fashion as well. But my my point is that normally the thing that drives and creates a lot of this pressure is to get the pro- the price down for the consumer, and then the more we buy, the more we fuel it, and so on and so forth. So, like, it would be like, what would you kind of say to someone that maybe is listening to this, Gordon, and going, well, that's all well and good, Gordon, but I can't afford to shop here because it costs me more or i can't afford to get my car washed there because it costs me too much money or, or something like i mean you could just wash your car yourself but that aside yeah. you know do you know like, what i mean that it that it's like yeah. a, an upper it's a it's, it's a it's a nice problem to have but i can't afford to fix this yeah i i would say that you know it, it begins it begins somewhere um you know wh- where this line you, you have to draw this line and i think it's part of a bigger systemic problem as, as we talked about earlier and you know I don't expect anyone to be a martyr for this but you know if, if you have your own your own values and you have your own morality and, and you know we, we we choose what we spend our money on I mean all right unless you're in a situation where you you are living on the minimum wage and therefore you know it is you know you're really really struggling most people have a certain amount of discretionary spend and what they choose to spend on how they choose to spend it is is you know, it, it can be can be based upon these values and these decisions. Uh, so based on, on, on your own personal uh, convictions and, and so on and so forth. And that may sound like, well, that's a middle class privileged position you're coming from again. But I, I, I do, do believe that if you don't draw the line somewhere um, on, on how you're going to spend your money and, and how you, 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 you know, which ethical choices you make, it's 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 a kind of never-ending problem, and you know it it's, it, it it almost gives license to the to the primarchs of this world and people like that to continue. And, and Primark, to be fair, aren't you know do have a good responsible sourcing program going these days. But yeah. but this can this this you know this continual drive to sort of you know buy buy t- um, you know t-shirts for like two quid or four quid or whatever the price is that you this minimum price, you know. Why? I, I don't know. Again, this it, it doesn't. It sounds just. But you know, I, I would. I personally will spend fifty quid on a jumper, and I will wear that jumper. And I've I've got jumpers upstairs that are eight years old, ten years old. You know, you know, may say, well, you're a bit of a tramp. You know, you don't. You know, do you, do you care about how you look? Well, some people might say that, but you know, I like to think I buy decent, well-made knitwear. Yeah. For example, you know, that lasts me a long time. That is relatively, you know, not not particularly. Um, you know, obviously it's not, it can't be that fashionable, but it's going in and out of fashion because it's not going, you know, we can wear it for eight years and it still looks reasonable. Then it's obviously not a fashion item. But my point here is, you know, what this whole culture with the boohoo culture, for example, you know, um, where they sort of, you know, the fast fashion, you know, people literally wear something once and and put it into, into the charity. Well, I'm sorry, but you know, this is judgmental. You can't be doing that. You can't be doing that as a sentient human being because you have to understand that the cost of that 
is at somebody else's expense if you know if you're spending something wearing it once and putting it in the putting it in the trash environmentally it's not sound mm. sustainability it's, it's not sustainable from an economic from an environmental from a climate change from all those things and it has to be at someone else's expense from a mm. from a, a social and modern slavery perspective because nobody can make something for two quid it's just not possible so think about the lifestyle that you're leading and thinking you know why do i need to feel like the, this pressure to sort of have a new item every other day or you know every single time i go out i have to wear something new and that's but to be honest on on that point gordon sorry i've kind of interrupted you mid-flow but there's something yeah. that you said there that like so say let's just just say for example someone went okay but one of my values is uh, i i love fashion and i want to i want to be fashionable i want to keep up with fashion right therefore mm-hmm. i have to keep by the by the by the, the most up-to-date thing right my my don't tell her i said this right but my mother-in-law is is very trendy she's like 60 something she's very trendy she's very fashionable and she looks pretty good for her age, I tell you, right? And she lives, she lives for charity shops. Mm-hmm. She does not buy anything from Primark, from from House of Fraser, from from Gucci, you know, any any kind of brand. She lives in charity shops. So people that turn around to me and said, you know, if anyone did turn around to me and say, do you know what, I can't to that because i i want to keep up with fashion that that's passionate to me um, are you telling me i need to stop that no 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 you do what you do but i'm telling you now mm-hmm. just go look in a charity shop because i bet you can find something in there i bet you can so Very i think true. there is a part of it is more around sometimes it's like we think that if we spend money on something and it's got the brand then it'll automatically give us what we want whether that is happiness or social mm, acceptance yeah. or something so it, I, we could go uber deep on this we really could yeah, yeah. but there is yeah. there's a again we come back to your earlier point there is so much to this it's so complex isn't it it is it is incredibly complex and you know and you, you you can't um, you can't unpack it all because it it is so interwoven with you know with with all aspects of our life and and all aspects of our culture and our mm. history you know and and and, and the systemic models that, that you know that we that we live within so it's really you know and, and from and from because it is so complex it's why a lot of people don't engage with it because it's too complex you know it's too complex and it's like well what can i possibly do um you know uh, i'm just i'm just me you know what can i possibly do and I, I understand that and i respect that as well you know not everybody not everybody wants to um, be an advocate or a crusader or an activist or whatever um it happens to float my boat you know, it hasn't always floated my boat. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I'm in my fifties and I didn't start advocating until I was in my fifties. You know, obviously as a, as a journalist, I would write about stuff and I would have a, an opinion and a point of view, but I certainly wasn't, you know, an advocate as I am now, mm. um, see myself now. So, you know, it, it comes for people, comes, to, you know, everyone has the, 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 the right to, to, you know, to do what, how, how, you know, live how they want to live within the, within the law, obviously. Um, I think so, there's a marginal gains piece that we could probably, you know, do there. Like, it is if if everybody did one thing more tomorrow mm-hmm. that they could, that was a little bit more ethical. Be that maybe not go to the cheapest car wash, or be that just ask the question where that one product that you buy all the time that's uber cheap, where it actually is coming from. That one thing, and then next time you get a pay rise, maybe there's one more thing that you can look into. Mm-hmm. 
And it, uh, whilst that's not going to solve the world's issues, I, th- I do think it would make a massive difference. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and to your point earlier about, you know, what can you do? You know, you can do something at work, you know, you can, you can, you can, um, you know, you can raise these issues, you know, in your supply mm. chain. You know, if your, if your company that you work for doesn't have any responsible sourcing practices or policies, well, you know, you can raise that question at the next book, you know, in the next, um, you know, staff meeting or conference meeting or whatever it is you have, you know, just, just ask the question. You know, it might spark. You may, you may find that it sparks the interest. You know, in 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 um, you know, in your bosses or or the people who are, have responsibility in the business, they may they may want to do it because you know there are advantages to it. You know, there's there's efficiency advantages to um to to you know often involved with with the more responsible sourcing practices. Um, you know, there there are soft in inverted commas soft opportunities around it. You know, that as you say, the millennials and the younger people these days want to work for companies that are, that are doing that Definitely. are being ethical, responsible. Definitely. So you're more likely to re- recruit good staff, um, yeah. good in commerce, and retain your staff. You know, the cost of uh, cost of recruitment cost, you know, it's a huge cost um, uh, to businesses every year. So that helps you to retain your staff because you know you're looking after them and you know you have responsible practices and ethical business model. It's got to be beneficial in that sense as well. So it's a win-win scenario. You know, you're 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 um you know you're you're helping the the greater the greater you know, planet in in the case of environmental and and you're you know lessening modern slavery and and human rights abuses and at the same time you know you're you're helping your own business. Mm-hmm. So what's not to get involved? Why wouldn't you get involved in that sense? Um, just make you know it's a no-brainer in my opinion. Yeah, um, I think a big a big think- step for the court the corporate world would be just change the perception of your of your employees and just start caring about them a bit more seeing them as assets be them ones that are paid ethically and within you know or even be them ones that are paid really really well but i think from you just again looking at the challenges that i have within my day job of of kind of safety and and so on and so forth the way we treat the worker it's always not, and I'm only talking from my previous experience, but it's always an assumption that the worker is dumb. They don't know what they're doing. They turn up and they're just, they're the problem. You know, oh, Bob did something stupid again. Um, and where we see, you know, as much as he's a bit controversial sometimes, but like, you know, Richard Branson has got to be one of the richest men in the world. And he's, he said it for years, you know, treat your, treat your employees well, they'll treat your customers well. So I think if if we start changing how we perceive the worker, we see them as an as an asset, and we see that if we can care for them and and go beyond the lines of compliance or whatever, it's just start mm-hmm. saying, actually, no, I just want to do something. Do you need something? Yeah, I'm. I can't afford any milk this week. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you some milk. I mean, that's what I'd do if I was employing someone. But you know, and then someone might say, well, that's easy said than done. My business isn't. But that's just one example of just yeah, yeah, yeah. caring a little bit more. Then I think you'll probably start to spot some of these issues from a modern slavery point of view, being like, you know what, that lady, that man, that person, that, that young man, young child, young young lady, they don't seem very happy when they come mm-hmm. to work, and I'm paying the minimum wage, or I'm paying them more than minimum wage. Why are they turning up with shoes or holes in their shoes or, or something like? Do you know what I mean? There must be there yeah. must be little little really? signs that we're missing, um, and if we just kind of change the lens that we see the worker through, I think we could solve a lot of our issues. No, I think you're absolutely right, and I think in many respects, you know, the the, the occupational health and safety sector, you know, is is a good is a good example for how you know change can happen because you know twenty. 
20 odd years ago, um, you know, before there was, you know, I think it was probably in the 90s, wasn't it, when it really started to get ramped up and it, and it was probably no doubt a compliance issue and it maybe it still is a comp primarily a compliance issue, but I do think it has, has a, a knock-on effect in, in, um, in, in, you know, for issues around mental health, whereas when, when health and safety was first introduced, it was all about physical, wasn't it? Physical health, making sure people weren't injured at work. Yep. Now, you know, shift. And again, you may say this is a middle-class problem or a middle-class issue, or it's perceived as by middle-class people as mattering. But I think the mental health movement, you know, at work and, and you, know, it, you know, that was never talked about when I first started working in the 80s and the 90s. It wasn't um, even now, talked about when I started working and I'm only yeah. 30, mate. So there you go. There you go. But now look at the shift Everywhere. again, you know, yeah. talk about it and maybe lots of businesses will sell you know, somebody, somebody admits to it, they'll probably have the piss taken out of them, but a lot more don't, you know, and even on construction sites, and there are, there are lots of um, campaigns going on, you know, within CIOB and people like this in the construction sector, where they're supporting mental health awareness and all this kind of stuff. And, and if you like, making it, legitimizing it, making it okay to talk about these things, you know, and, uh, you know, I think this, this is all part of this bigger sort of uh, com more compassionate, uh, more more considerate society, you know, where it's not all just about profitability. And, and if, you know, and if it's not a compliance issue, this is a beyond compliance in, in many respects. It is also, you know, from a share price perspective and things like that, because the investment community, you know, um, is, is massively looking at these issues of, as they call it, ESG, environmental, social and governance. And they are, you know, they are basically using their voting power um, when you know when when they the shares that they own in, in companies to force them to actually look at these things and report on them and and uh, and, and act upon them in, in meaningful ways. For example, again going back to Boohoo, it lost something like 1.4 billion pounds on its share value mm. because of the crap that went on in Leicester about the min paying people the minimum wage, etc., etc., etc. But you know people say, well, you know doesn't really matter doesn't affect businesses you know whether i do it or i don't it might cost me a bit more well actually it can cost an awful lot in your reputation but also in your share price in your um, in your ability to tender for government contracts for example mm. you know the government is now starting to put you know finally the lack of leadership by the government has been appalling despite the fact it says it's got the most the world leading modern slavery act well yeah it may have or may did have but it certainly didn't carry that through in its own in its own uh, procurement practices so people were getting handed out government contracts who weren't even compliant to the modern slavery acts, which oh, really? was absolutely, yeah, absolutely laughable. But now they're starting to get the house in order so that, you know, that, that, that you can only um, get given a government contract. Not that everyone works wants government contracts or, or is even in the position to apply for them. But I think it, it matters from a leadership perspective that um, it's been seen to get its own house in order. Yeah. Um, but increasingly, you know, if you want to be part of a tender process, you know, again, for, you know, construction sector for, you know, HS2 or, you know, any, any big infrastructure motorways or, or anything like that. And you're part of a consortium. That consortium has to be, uh, any public money essentially, has to be um, addressing issues around modern slavery and have a due diligence process in place and things like this. So it is gradually filtering. You've got the investment community, you've got consumer pressure, you've got top-down pressure from the government, you've got, you know, bottom-up from the consumer. You know, it's all, all, so it, it is all coming into this sort of like, melting pot where it's you know it's uh, you know you have to you have to address these issues or you're going to get left behind as a business mm. um how know. powerful would it be if you had you know people buying new build properties and they're like how was this built mm. who who built this house 
you know, mm. and having that traceability, you know, like we're trying to do yeah. with, with it, like, like we do so well in the food industry within reason, uh, other than, other than Mexican cartels selling avocados, but we do it pretty well in the food industry that we can trace that coffee bean all the way back. You know, the fair trade yeah. coffee is kind of common practice now. Like yeah. you, you kind of don't really see any coffee that's not fair trade anymore. Like yeah. it's, it's just common practice. So imagine if you're buying a house and you're just like, you know, well, before, yeah, I really want to buy this house, but you know, everyone's starting to say, you know, can you, can you tell me what you did to stop you know, modern slavery? Um, because mm. I, I want to make sure I don't live in a house that was built by slaves. Absolutely. absolutely. So there is that absolute transparency piece, and as you say, and traceability, um, you know, traceability of the products and, and, and the, uh, you know, where did the, where did the, you know, the brick come from, for example, yeah. you know, there is, there is, you know, there is evidence of, um, of tainted, we call it a study that I read that was done by Royal Holloway University called Blood Bricks, where basically bricks are made in the likes of Cambodia and places like that, where they're basically building a lot of a lot of the buildings being built in in Cambodia are um, are basically through tainted tainted supply chains, Jeez. which is why they call it Blood Bricks. Um, and the, there is some evidence that some of these bricks are getting into the UK, um, and you know. In, 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 although you know they shouldn't because it's not you know they're not not eu kite marked or ce kite mark or whatever it is i'm not too up, up on that sort of thing but you know there are minimum standards obviously from a from a construction perspective yeah. so it shouldn't be happening but that's not to say it doesn't happen so you know that traceability as you say um you know there should you know again whether it's the consumer who needs to demand that or whether it's legislation from you know as, as, as part of the as part of the home buyer's home buying process you know that you should be given that you know in the same way that you do with an epc certificate these days well yeah. why can't that end it you know that's a carbon perspective that's from a carbon perspective isn't it the epc generally carbon and um, emissions um to do with climate change and, and, and environmental stuff but um you know why not have it from a social aspect you know so you, you companies are forced to, to reveal where they're um you know the responsible sourcing practices that they're doing yeah. Yeah, I'm like your it. house has a rating system of like ethical, sustainable, and safe. And where yeah. was it? You know, safe, not great. We shoved a load of crap down the cavity, but ethical, we're really good. We 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 like this and sustainable. We're probably somewhere in the middle. I get to make yeah. the decision then, an educated decision as a as a consumer. Um, yeah, and and Definitely. I think I think the consumer, I think. And I'm making a kind of overarching, I'm tiring them all with the same brush. I think, you know, the majority of us, like we would be heartbroken to find out that we were contributing to something like that. But at the same time, they're so busy that it just doesn't enter our consciousness. So it's yeah. kind of like, yes, we need to ask more questions. Yes, we need to ask better questions. Um, mm. But at the same time, I think we also need a bit of support from, from the big brands um, and, and government. And you know to make this easy for us to make those ethical decisions. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. You know, and, um, and, you, oh, and you can, you know, just just to say, just one one point in that um, modern slavery statements are have to be publicly available. That one of the key conditions of the modern slavery act is that all with again only a turnover above thirty six million, but you know most decent medium, you know decent not not in a pejorative sense, but most big companies will yeah. uh, will be over 36 million pound a year and it has to be on the home page of their website and you can therefore click on it and you can read that mm. you know now 
therein there is something of a challenge because up until the recent re, um, regulations, um, there was there was a consultation done basically about the first five years of the Modern Slavery Act, and the the initial legislation was found to be weak in very many areas. So they're now strengthening with them because it was you were you were compliant just by producing a modern slavery statement that says we recognise the need to do a modern slavery statement and signing it and yeah, putting yeah. a date that made you compliant. Yeah. So few, few doing that, but obviously those companies have been sort of like ridiculed for it. So you know why do that? So my point is, you can read. You know, as a consumer, if you want to look up, if you're thinking of buying a new home, by Persimmon or Lang or you know whoever else is out there building houses these days those companies will all have a modern slavery statement or should have a modern slavery statement. If they haven't got one and they're turning over and they're all turning over 36 million pounds a year, obviously um, with that sort of big, big national house builders, then you have to question first off, why haven't they got a modern slavery statement? Um, you know, and that would raise huge red flags for me as a consumer. And um, I was buying a new home and if they do have one, read it and see what it says, you know, and does it, does it, does it have any, does it, does it reveal anything about their lack of, consideration or you know does do they address all the key six main, main six compliance areas do they do it in a meaningful way do they do it in an ethical way do you know are, are, mm. you know, are they are the development a program of continuous development going um continuous improvement going on etc etc you know so you, you, you a certain amount of stuff is out there you know do we want to look at it do you guys yeah, no. yeah. um i think i think you know there is some stuff out there so um let, let's let's use what there is and push for more where it isn't so let's let's yeah. tie this in a loop, Gordon, and I'm kind of finish up about uh, yep. talking about what you're doing. Um, yep. So you're obviously covered in cycling gear. Um, so that's not just because you find that really comfortable, I assume, to sit around in. <laughs> it's uh, it's to do with what you're doing. So why don't you tell us about what you're doing to kind of raise yes, awareness? Yeah, thank you. So yeah, so back to ride for freedom. So ride for freedom is my cycling, my passion. Um, communications, my skill set, um, and social justice, my uh, my mission, if you like. So bringing those three things together, back in 2018, 2019, you know, 2018, thought, what can I do to cycle more, raise more awareness, use my skill sets? Those were my, my objectives at the time. I came up with the idea to do a bit of cycling and did a charity ride on behalf of Unseen and Hope for Justice, two charities. And that sort of you know, was the catalyst for it, um, for what's now become, you know, a social enterprise called Ride for Freedom, where we set up to do the challenges, um, cycling challenges, which motivate me, which hopefully people tell me inspires them, um, which is which is hugely gratifying. And quite a lot of people are now getting involved in the challenges that we put on um, and, and riding alongside us. Some people are fundraising at the same time. With a view to, as I said earlier, the the the, um, the, the underarching reason that we're the, the the motivation for doing this is to, is to support this program called Free Wheel by Ride for Freedom, which is to support um, victims of modern day slavery in the UK with uh, with a new bike. Um, so I, I'm seeing my challenges now. My cycling challenges I call them my flagship challenges. The one I'm starting on Sunday, which is the 27th of June, um, is one where we're cycling around 20 Premier League clubs. Um, in the UK, in England, sorry, um, starting in, in uh, Wembley and cycling up to Leicester, then Leeds, Newcastle, Sheffield, Leeds, Newcastle, and then back down through the Northwest and the Midlands, and then doing the South Coast uh, later, um, mm -hmm. but all within a two week period. So essentially doing that to shine a light on the issue of child's, uh, child's uh, trafficking in sports, which is part of this modern slavery agenda where specifically our kids um, are basically seduced 
in, in, in primarily in Africa, but also in other parts of the world as well. Um, trial for, invited to have trial well told that they can have a trial with a, with a football club in in europe um and basically this is just a pretext for for um basically trafficking them into into europe um it's a big issue um there was a report uh, trafficking in persons reports which um is a u.s government um report which is done annually in the, in the 2020 report they um they estimated there are 15,000 human trafficking victims in football alone in within Europe um, in, in that last study period. So 15,000 um, people, many of whom will be children and youths, um, because obviously those are the age when they, you know, they're attractive to the football industry, mm. um, are being trafficked into Europe. And there's some really high, high profile cases, such as there's, um, there's a, a player that United, Manchester United signed recently called Ahmad Diallo, who was basically trafficked from um, the Ivory Coast to Italy. United ended up signing him from Atalanta, which is an Italian team. Um, and he was basically trafficked by um, a so-called uncle from his home in, in the Ivory Coast to Italy. Um, and he was subsequently freed. You know, he got, got away from his oppressor. And now he's, he's a legitimate Italian citizen. So therefore, he has the right to play for Manchester United in the UK. But he's an example of, of how this happens. But there are, of course, he's... He's, he's one of the successes, if you like, of, of the trafficking situation because this 15,000 people each year who are trafficked, they never make it to trial. There, there is no trial. They're basically just told that there's a trial so that they get, you know, they come, they come over to the UK, uh, they come over to Europe. Wherever they land, they're basically just, you know, put into these these uh, these coercion, labour exploitation situations where they're forced to work on building sites, you know, forced to work out in the streets, beg, borrow, steal, you know, whatever. Um Again, these aren't my figures. These are figures by the Trafficking Persons, which is a very reputable government um, agency for the US government, United States government. Um, so um, that's, as I say, this is part of the bigger issue. Um, and this is this is the focus of this particular um, this particular uh, cycling challenge that I'm starting on Sunday. Um, the the sort of the, the, the context of it is that it's obviously the Euro 2020 tournament going on at this point in time. So it's a Europe wide initiative. Mm -hmm. um a, a competition tournament and um therefore you know it's it enables us to, to sort of use that to shine a light and and, and uh contextualize this why we're doing it now um so yeah so it's a great it's a really good challenge i'm basically be cycling about a thousand miles over the course of a couple of weeks um which is gonna be quite a challenge but i'm really you know really up for it and excited by it and we've had phenomenal engagement from the football clubs um i think for the last count a dozen of them, a dozen of the 20 Premier League clubs have engaged with us, um, which is a mixture of um, a, 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 attending a round table, which we're putting on on this Thursday on the 24th, um, where it's going to be talking about all these issues and uh, providing, talking about, you know, some of the, the responses that they can make as, as football clubs to, um, to understand where the risks lie in their own business, back to this due diligence thing again, so they can start to understand how they're susceptible to it and how they can put processes and policy policies and processes and systems in place to ensure that they don't get this modern day slavery and child trafficking in in, in their clubs so they can uh, protect themselves and the wider society from it um and also lots of them are um i'll say about a dozen of them so far have agreed to meet me when i rock up outside their clubs on my bike yes. um have photo photos taken um put it on their social channels 
which given the drawing card of all these clubs, you know, each post, each social media post they do has thousands. You know, tens of thousands. thousands. Yeah. yeah, of like, yeah, all around the world. You know, let, let's yeah. face it, you know, the clubs like Liverpool and Manchester United, they have a bigger following in Asia than they do in the UK because of, the, you know, the number of people yeah. in it communities so you know i'm hopeful that this messaging can really really resonate you know and, and you know let's let's and not get ahead of you our, get one kid yeah. pick up just see that social media post or something that was about to be exploited by that trafficking system or is being and they're like oh hang on a minute what do you mean there's mm -hmm. no trial and this is a big con like just just one is a win you know it's nowhere near yeah. enough but you know yeah. But if that if that one is that if you say if that one person or you know ten people makes them question makes them think twice and that stops them from being one of those fifteen thousand, um, that's phenomenal, you know. And sort of I was talking to somebody this morning and he was uh, we were basically saying that you know I'm basically going to be basically cycling fifteen hundred one thousand miles is about fifteen hundred kilometers, isn't it? So basically for every kilometer I'm riding, that's ten ten kids or ten people that are trafficked. Wow. Um, football in the in europe each year so i'm just you know i've got that very much in my mind now when i'm thinking about you know how do i how do i do something about this you know um each kilometer raises awareness around 10 10 potential to the potential to sort of illustrate it for 10 people which is very powerful very powerful um so yeah so that's that's the first that's the first challenge that i'm that i'm focused on this year first cycling challenge and then the second one um just to just to wrap it up is in give, give the context of it all um i'm doing a, a cycle ride from um southern spain back to the uk in um in october which is just over just under three thousand kilometers which um that route from southern spain to the uk is a documented human trafficking route so again similar situation where wow. people are trafficking um, and they're basically, uh, you know, often on the pretext of work over here, they sign up to things and then um, they, you know, the work doesn't exist. They, uh, you know, as soon as they leave their own communities, they're, um, they're basically taken control of by criminal gangs. They're, they're you know, they're, they're, they're sailed across the, um, the Straits of Gibraltar and places like that. You've seen all these issues of, of people, you know, human, human people are trafficked across um, from from um, Libya and places like that across to Italy, and you know they're all um, being held in Greece and places like that. That's part of the same issue. A lot of those people aren't economic migrants; they're people who are you know, there are trafficked people. You know, some of them are economic. You know, some of them did it for economic reasons because they want to better their lives, but basically they've been trafficked along the way. And um, this, you know, this is a huge situation, and this all falls under this modern slavery umbrella again. So, um, so yeah, so I'm going to cycle back from uh, from Spain to um, to the UK to, again to shine a light on this human trafficking route. Um, and yeah, that's that's my little gig. <laughs> that's for gigs for this year. That's amazing. That's amazing, mate. I just, yeah. I think um, that's really. I, I, I really kind of struck. I didn't know that the one you're doing in October, but like. Yeah, that's a part that's a really powerful that you're riding the route that people are trafficked on. Like yeah. It, yeah. It must be quite like when when you're knackered and you're pushing yourself, especially if it's something like it must get quite emotional. Like I don't know, I'm quite an emotional guy, but like I can imagine that when you finish that or when you're riding that route from Spain, like it's just so powerful that it just mm. must be really emotional to kind of do it. And you've yeah. been doing this for years. So yeah absolutely you know and 
it, it does you know it, you, you you think why you're doing this and, and you know of course you don't think about it all the time um you know but it you know it, it reminds you um uh, you know, at a certain time actually i, I my, my daughter made me and I've, I've taken it off because i had a shower earlier but a bracelet that says end modern slavery she made it out oh. of beads so and i'm wearing that on my wrist you know most of the time certainly when i'm cycling now as a constant reminder to myself you know this is not that you know i really need them because it's on here but i don't tend to look at my, your jersey that often but it's on my wrist and you know that's there's a personal touch there personal connection because she made the uh, she made the, the, the bead for me but you know it reminds me of why you're doing this and you know this again this this for every um, every kilometer I ride, there's ten people potentially, um, you know, are enslaved um, kids trafficked in, in the name of, of of sport. So yeah, it is emotional, and you know, and it keeps keeps me grounded and it keeps me focused on why I'm doing this, you know. And it's uh, yeah, it goes back to that sort of thing. It's just it's just unbelievable. Begs belief that it can be happening in this day and age. And you know, if I can combine my love for cycling and make a bit of a difference um, at the same time, then yeah, all power to it. Mm. Oh, well yeah. done, mate. And I think I think change change comes change comes inevitably, but it comes slow and it comes a conversation at a time. You know, and I, I strongly believe that. So that that conversation that's obviously impacted your daughter now that she's thinking about mm. that at school or or wherever she made that bead, and mm. you know that's in her head and she's given that to you. That that is a heuristic in her brain now, and that will live with her for the rest of her life. And she'll probably yeah, yeah. talk to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 people within the next couple of years through school yeah. and friends. And then that that spreads and spreads and spreads and change changes like a virus. So every conversation that you're having with people, you may talk to 10 and only one gets it. But you know, yeah. that one will talk to 10 and then two will get it and it will go and it will keep yeah, going yeah. like a virus. So keep it up, mate. Thank you, mate appreciate it and thanks for your um thanks for your introduction and invitation on here it's been uh, been great to chat with you I really enjoyed it no it's really been great it. and maybe we get you back on once you're once you're done maybe october and see how knackered you yeah. are and uh, and how it went and so on and so forth absolutely well yeah and, and part of that um part of that challenge is it's going to be another, a guinness world record as well so um wow, you know just, awesome. to, just to help shine a bit more light on it yeah. uh, obviously a great great pulling power power um around the world um the previous one i did so you know i set a guinness world record last year um so yeah and, and i i know the power of that now so though you know we're going to do a second one for this one so um yeah it all um it all helps yeah, let's hope that's amazing so if people want to follow you support you work with you or, or whatever what how do they do that uh best way to to get in touch um through social media channels obviously linkedin uh, instagram um, I'm, I'm on there through Ride for Freedom and um, the, the website is rideforfreedom.org.uk so people can do that. They can donate if you want to donate and the money that goes, obviously donated goes towards the Free Will program. Um, so there's a Just Giving page as well. Um, so that's Just Giving Ride for Freedom. And um, yeah, it's all, it's all on all, all the links to all the, the Instagram accounts and, um, and the Twitter account and LinkedIn and all that, all on, all on rideforfreedom.org.uk. Yeah. Nice one. We'll put all the um, links and stuff in the notes as well so people can click on them, make it a bit easier. Nice one. Perfect. Thank Otherwise, you. mate, best of luck on the ride and keep up the good work, mate. Yeah, and hopefully um may see you on the way. May see you on the way. If not, we'll wave as we pass Northampton. 
Well, I've got I've got your route, and I'm going to keep an eye on it. I'm going to I'm I'm still I've got a few days yet. You're going yeah. on a Sunday. We're recording today on the Tuesday, so I'm going to try my damnedest and, and make it work. Unfortunately, the two gents I was planning it with, they can't do it. But I'm going to give oh, it yeah. a go. But I, I will, yeah. if if you see me, I'll let you know. Uh, if you don't hear from me, then you're a better man than I. <laughs> You'll know who I am because I'll be wearing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, awesome. Safe. Well, thank you very much for coming on, buddy. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. All the best. Okay, peeps. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Gordon's just an amazing guy with a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of experience and just a pure passion to, to just solving a problem, which I love. I love people like that. I can talk to people like that all day. And he's a cyclist as well, so that's cool. And I, and I kind of love that he's raising awareness. And I know I've been watching him on LinkedIn this week and he's doing loads of work with Biffa at the moment, riding around, raising awareness with Biffa as well. So thank you very much, Gordon, for coming on. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation and hopefully it'll help you in your day job. Don't forget to check out Project Miletium, the master mastermind community for the safety and risk professional and also don't forget to check out paranoid human performance learning organization webinar and their hse subscription service as well i'll catch you next week safe